The day is Thursday the 17th of August. I'm Jason England and welcome to Learn Something, the official podcast of NewRisingMedia.com where I consume your brain space with weird and wonderful facts that you've probably never heard before. Today's episode, we're opening up the history books again for Throwback Thursday. We're covering all kinds of weird NASA history. We're going into Forrest Gump. We're also going into the Flight of the Navigator and Elvis Presley. And also, we've got a little bit of a surprise for you. We're actually doing an interview for the first time on this show. I will tell you more about who that is when it happens. So stick around. This is going to be a fun one. First up, it's time to try out the new segment again. So in this segment, which is thus far unnamed, I don't know what I'm going to call it, um, I basically want to provide the same, providing interesting, maybe weird sometimes facts around a current news story to give it more context to help you understand further what is actually happening in the news. And today, as many British people will know, especially on Twitter, A-level results day is happening. And while there's a lot of nerves and a lot of stress around it, I want to help by providing some interesting bits of trivia that will help put things into perspective of just how well they're doing and just how seemingly insignificant to somebody's overall life a piece of paper going into university is. Let's get going. So today's a day that many students in Britain have been proverbially pooping themselves about. It's A-level results day and today in many of their minds will be a make or break day as to whether they're going to make it onto the course that they've applied for through UCAS. Now I remember when I went through A-level results day, uh, it was a, it was actually quite a rainy day, the same as it is today. Uh, 20 millimetres of rain fell last night, so I've been driving through puddles, it's been great. Um, It was way back in 2008 when I went to the sports hall of my local college, picked up my envelope and opened it. Now. When you're in that queue to pick it up, so many things go through your head. First of all, you end up having this kind of self-deprecating attitude where you think you won't ever get the grades that you feel like that that's the course guide for the university that you're going to. For me, that was Nottingham Trent. Tells you that you need to get to actually get into this course. And when you have those kinds of worries, then you start worrying about what your future plans are then you start thinking, oh God, what is the future? As if university is the only way forward. And I want to prove those two bits wrong. I want to prove wrong that it, that, what am I trying to say here? That's it. I want to help you guys realize that you're actually a lot smarter than you think you are. You're actually a hell of a lot smarter than I was back at the time. And also, I also want to prove that university is not the only way. I don't want you to feel as if it's literally this or just some regular full-time job somewhere where you feel like you're not going to be happy. There are other ways and there are other methods and other people have 
flagrantly shoved two fingers in the face of the university establishment and have become billionaires. So let's start with the first one. Let's eliminate this self-deprecating attitude once and for all because if you take a look at the student performance analysis, which is the national percentage figures for A-level grades, you've all been technically getting smarter over the past few years. So let's go all the way back to the beginning of the biology course which was in 1993 this is the earliest recorded a-level results and 77.4 percent of you got grades a to e which is technically a pass but go forward to 2016 and it's 97.2 percent of you getting a pass grade that to me is mind-blowing and hell let's take let's take the pass grades that don't really give you that many UCAS points out of the equation as well let's focus on A star and A A stars were introduced in 2010 8% got 8 8% got A star in 2010 and it went up to 9.3% in 2016 and from what I've heard from the news it's even gone further upwards now in fact, 26.3% of entries this year got A star to A grades, which is up by 0.5% compared to last year. So don't ever, ever put yourselves down. You are all a hell of a lot smarter than I was back at the time. You're probably a hell of a lot smarter than I am now. You're a lot smarter than your, your parents were. You're a lot smarter than your grandparents were just don't ever lose that spark of knowledge and don't ever lose your confidence in your own abilities and next up is this whole preconceived notion that if you don't get into university you're not going to get into a good job which is fundamentally wrong and i want to disprove that by telling you just a few people you may know them who have become phenomenally successful over the past decades even though they got what could be considered as bad A-levels. So for a good example, Benedict Cumberbatch once said, I did sort of blow my GCSEs out the water. I couldn't believe it and neither could my teachers. And then there was a lot of pressure on me to achieve an Oxbridge level of brilliance at A-levels. But then adolescence came late and I discovered girls, pots and all sorts of other things. So I got a bit lazy. That stagnated my growth a bit as far as being academic. So even though he didn't get his A-levels, I, th I think it's fair to say he's doing pretty well for himself. Yeah, I I I'd say that as well. JK Rowling didn't get the grades to study languages at Oxford. So that also shows, obviously she's gone on to create the Harry Potter universe, which is literally printing money for her. Other names on here, Russell Brand, despite having a wizard-like vocabulary and a penchant for words, Brand doesn't have a university degree or an A-level to his name. However, ironically, it is being included as a point of study in the A-level English syllabus. And finally, Richard Branson, the high-flying gazillionaire, doesn't even have a qualification to his name. 
In fact, he dropped out of boarding school at the age of 16. He worked his way to the top and has some pretty solid advice for today's youths. And one piece of advice that you guys should definitely take away with you. He says, Young people need empowerment and encouragement, not sleepless nights worrying about hitting their exam targets. They need to learn to take risks and not to be afraid of failure. Failure is a part of life, especially in business. The key is to learn from it. Once again, that was an attempt at the new segment that I would like to introduce on a daily basis. Uh, the segment is thus far unnamed, but if you do have a name, then do fire it over to me on Twitter at Mr. Jason England, where I take the idea that I've been creating thus far, which is introducing some interesting, sometimes weird facts about different things, but take that element and apply it to current news in the day to help fully embellish a story and provide you with the full perspective. If you liked it, then if you're on Anchor, please do applaud the segment and that means I know that is going well and I'll keep it going. Um, if you're listening to this on Apple Podcast Services, then do crop up on the reviews, give it five stars and just let me know your thoughts. Cool. On to the next one. So first off, we dive into the history books of space and we talk about the Apollo 11 spacecraft. Now, this flight was one for the history books and it showed the true ingenuity of NASA's hardware production. But did you know that Buzz Aldrin himself took up a backup plan to space with him just in case the computers didn't work. Most of today's phones now have more computing power than the Apollo 11 mission carried on board. But what if that computer went down? Well, it turns out he took up a, a slide ruler with him. So this could measure distance. And actually quite a, quite a nifty little tool. They may seem archaic to many of this present generation, but the slide rule was and is a powerful tool for computation, which would have certainly come handy if the spaceflight computer malfunctioned. And hats off to him. Pretty, pretty genius. Next up, have you ever heard of a guy called Lonnie Johnson? Chances are you haven't, so I'll be a little bit more specific. Have you ever heard of a water gun called the Super Soaker? Yeah, you, you probably have. Well, it turns out that the inventor of the Super Soaker actually worked at NASA. What he was doing there is working on probes to Mars, Jupiter, and Saturn. The invention of the Super Soaker was a byproduct of researching a revolutionary thermoelectric engine which he funded with the profits from the Super Soaker. Johnson set out to develop a pressurized water gun that was safe enough for children to play with. Water guns at the time were very unsophisticated and cheaply made, able to shoot streams of about eight, eight feet. Well, he created his pneumatic water gun and the rest is history. 
with more than 200 million super soakers sold in the first 10 years of his company starting. Next up, we go back to April Fool's Day of 2002. So, NASA actually pulled off a pretty fun little prank. Using a new camera on the recently refitted Hubble telescope, astronomers were able to confirm that the moon was made of cheese. <laughs> the telling clue was the resolution of a numeric date after which the moon may go bad. Yes, it actually had an expiration date printed on the side of it. Controversy still exists, however, over whether the date resolved is truly an expiration date or just a sell-by date. Quote unquote from the spokesperson, to be cautious, we should completely devour the moon by tomorrow. Well, we're over a decade and a half too late for that, but I hope that cheese matures nicely. Next up, some quick fact checking, even though it's not really fact checking because it's a book that was adapted into a film. So it's not a real story, but still, it's fun to point out and it's fun to correct. So chances are you've seen the Tom Hanks classic Forrest Gump. It was an amazing film, but in the novel, there's a lot of bits that was missed out in the film, such as Forrest actually went on a mission for NASA with an ape named Sue. And after re-entry, they were captured and held by cannibals for four years. All of this was omitted. And even though it was an Academy Award winning film, I feel like, I feel like this would have made it Oscar material. Yeah. <laughs> and finally, in the wonderfully curious history of NASA, Turns out in the 70s, they wanted to take wine up to space as part of the astronauts cooking and astronauts diet, but it was quickly shut down due to public protest and a couple of other reasons, which I'll go into in a second. So after picking the perfect wine to take up to space with them, um, they needed to pick a stable product and something that could be repackaged so something that wouldn't decant and go off after a while so the winner was a sherry specifically a paul masson california rare cream sherry a quantity of this rare cream sherry was ordered for the entire skylab mission and was delivered to the johnson space center a package was developed that consisted of a flexible plastic pouch with a built-in drinking tube which could be cut off the astronaut would simply squeeze the bag and drink the wine from the packet. And the flexible container was designed to be fitted into a Skylab pudding can. So, the sherry after this never actually went to space. And the reasons why are quite alarming. So, in early tests in NASA's low gravity, what's called a vomit comet plane, just so that they can test different things going up into space. It was designed to see whether the packaging would work in weightless conditions, but it produced unfortunate results. As Borland recalled in his official oral history, as it turned out, the odors released by the wine combined with the residual smell of years worth of people getting sick on the plane had an unplanned effect on the crew, and many went for the bath bags. And the final nail in this coffin came when the Skylab 4 commander 
Jerry Carr mentioned the presence of alcohol on the menu in a public lecture and NASA received a flurry of angry letters from the general public. So, quote-unquote, from Jerry Carr, let's just say that no one here is enthused about publicising this thing any more than necessary. The problem is that you have got some extremists around and we, the astronauts, kind of represent a form of purity. As soon as you take that purity of alcohol, they really get upset. So, I'm sorry, you have to be completely teetotal when you're up there on the space station. And now, it's one of the main events of this show. It's time for the interview segment. Well, it was going to be called the interview segment, but this is some feedback to any developers of Anchor who watch this. You can only call US numbers, and I don't live in the US, I live in the UK. And it would be super helpful if I could record phone calls through the Anchor app here in the UK. Just to let you know. So. To get around this, I've had All About History magazine's editor, Jack Parsons, call in and provide some of his own unique bits of historical trivia as a huge brainiac and quite the history nerd. He is perfect for a segment like this. So let's have a listen to him. You're on the air. Thanks, Jason. Appreciate you having me on the show. Um, I thought I'd kick off with some uh, fascinating facts about things that happened on the 17th of August. Uh, in 1790, the capital city of the United States actually moved. It was originally in Philadelphia, uh, but then they moved it to Washington, D.C., creating a whole new town for the federal government. But, little-known fact, two other towns were initially considered, Lancaster and Germantown, both near Philadelphia. If you're from Lancaster or Germantown, I'd be curious to know what you think of potentially being a capital city. Um, 19, in 1945, on the 17th of August, George Orwell uh, published his novel Animal Farm, making him a household name. Uh, but George Orwell wasn't actually his name. Uh, he was born Eric Arthur Blair, uh, he, and he adopted the name Orwell um, it, from the river in East Anglia. Also on this day, in 1958, there was the first ever mission to send a rocket out of Earth's orbit. Uh, this was predictably done by NASA, uh, but it was the first time it had ever been done by any country in the world. Unfortunately, it wasn't a success. Uh, the rocket, which we now call the Pioneer Zero, though they had initially planned to call it the Pioneer One, but then changed their mind after it failed, uh, blew up after 80 seconds, but it did manage to get 16 kilometers in the air uh, before it crashed in the Atlantic. Uh, something else I wanted to discuss was that 17th of August is actually the on-sale date for my magazine All About History, uh, which uh, you can buy from WH Smiths and other retailers, or you can buy from myfavouritemagazine.co.uk. Um, it's also on Readly and other services. But what I really want to talk about was our cover star. The, the, the main feature in our issue this month is Richard the Lionheart, who, if you ask anyone to name a king in England from the, mid from the medieval period. They're probably only going to be able to think of one, and that is Richard the Lionheart, also known as Richard I. Um, he was called Lionheart because he was a notorious warrior, uh, and he actually had three lions on his um, 
surcoat, which we still use on the Royal Arms, uh, the Royal Coat of Arms for England, not to mention hundreds of thousands of English football shirts. But it's very unlikely. Thank you so much for those, Jack. Super fascinating facts. And one of the more interesting ones for me is that George Orwell was actually born under a different name, which kind of brings the whole concept of people talking about, oh, it's the Orwellian future, into certain doubt. <laughs> but anyway, um, if you want to read up more on the fascinating history that Jack and his team pulled together, then do check out All About History magazine, uh, sold in local retailers across the UK and also online. Okay. Let's move on to the next segment. And now we move on to survivors, iconic people and iconic moments in history that defied all the odds of moments where somebody should have died, but turns out they didn't and they survived against all the odds. So. First of all, I'd like to introduce you to Jean Hilliard, who was a woman found completely immobile and frozen from frost in 1980 and then went on to make a full recovery. On one of the first reports of the incident, published by the Montreal Gazette on the 30th of December 1980, Hilliard had collapsed on a 22 below zero night as she tried to seek shelter after a minor car accident. The young woman was found frozen solid approximately six hours later and brought to a hospital. She breathed shallowly two or three times a minute and her heartbeat faintly eight times a minute too. Dr. George Saver said that I thought she was dead, but then we picked up an extremely faint whimper. We knew there was a person existing then. Jean's chances of existing, of surviving, sorry, were rated slim. Her body temperature didn't even register on a thermometer, and that meant it was less than 80 degrees Fahrenheit, which in Celsius, after I've just done a quick Google here, is, go on internet, almost there. This is super interesting listening right now. There we go. It, that is technically 26 degrees Celsius. Now, bear in mind, the human body is a lot warmer than that. So that's terrifying. <laughs> quote, quote, there was no press evidence of a pulse or blood pressure. Her body was too frozen to find a vein or get a pulse. Well, shortly after that, the New York Times called it a miracle. And some of it was actually really fascinating science. There's a term we have that says no one is dead until he's warm and dead, said Dr. Richard Iseki. There are numerous case reports in the medical literature of people who have survived with interior body temperatures as low as 68 or 69 degrees. So while many people call it a miracle, other people call this an unsolved medical mystery. And now we head back to World War One, one of the most horrific conflicts in human history where millions of people died and a lot of those people died as a result of gas attacks usually from using mustard gas going through the casualties there were nearly half a million casualties 
in Russia as a result of gas. And in total, over 200,000 people died from gas attacks, as was recorded. But they were given tips and advice on how to survive chlorine gas, more specifically. And the way that they would do that is they needed to neutralize the burning effects of that much chlorine. And the way they did that was by urinating on their own faces. Now, I know that that's kind of disgusting, kind of little, but it's by any means necessary and it's quite... It just kind of puts into perspective what soldiers went through at the time and what some soldiers nowadays will also go through in order to survive by any means. And now we move on to February the 14th, 1929. More specifically, the St. Valentine's Day Massacre in Chicago. There was one person to have survived that attack even only temporarily, and his name was Frank Tightlips Gusenberg. Even though he was shot 22 times, he managed to live. He was still alive. When he was taken to Alexian Brothers Hospital, he was asked, who shot you? And in the classic Chicago Tightlips manner, he replied, nobody shot me, denying any justice to the murderers. Although the killers, widely believed to have been members of Al Capone's gang, wiped out Bugs Moran's mob, who he was a member of, they missed Moran himself. Upon seeing the squad car, he drove past the garage he was planning on entering. Like his associates, he had been fooled into thinking there was a police raid in progress. And finally, in this segment, we turn our attention to Niagara Falls. And I want you to meet a guy called Bobby Leach who was the second person to survive a trip over the falls. So this had become quite the daredevil stunt at the time, which was to jump in a barrel and essentially throw yourself over the Niagara Falls. It was extremely dangerous and many people lost their lives. This guy survived, but in a unfortunate turn of events, Part of me thinks this is kind of comical, but I also understand the very harrowing aspect behind it. He later died after slipping on an orange peel. After putting all of his life on the line for such a huge stunt like that, for him to go out like that, it's quite a way to go. And last but not least, I've just got two final facts for you. Two that will probably be equal parts mind-blowing slash, oh, that's what happened to him. First off, we're going to talk about Elvis Presley. It's been 40 years since his death, and his the anniversary of that death happened quite recently. So, timely reference bringing it up. Did you know that in 2016, Elvis Presley still managed to earn $27 million, making him richer than over 50% of the population of America, even though he is still six feet under. Take from that what you will, but 
while I'm still a fan of his music, I must admit I'm a little bit jealous. And finally, did you ever watch the film Flight of the Navigator? That 1986 adventure flick from Disney that was the pretty amazing sci-fi film where he navigated a ship and he saved the world. Well, it turns out that the star behind it, the lead actor, Joe Kramer, now 42, well, 43 now, I do apologise, was arrested for bank robbery in Canada. It's weird the way that stars go. (laughs) So he is legit a convicted bank robber. He looks a lot different now, obviously. The Royal Canadian Mounted Police said a man wearing a wig of scraggly hair, a bandana, sunglasses and a dark jacket entered a bank on 28th of April 2016 in Seychelles, British Columbia. Police said he demanded money and fled on foot. Police said no one was injured during the robbery and, the cra- and that Kramer drove off when he was approached by officers in the community northwest of Vancouver. And shortly after, he was pulled over, found, arrested and he was charged with robbery, disguised with intent to commit an indictable offence, failing to stop for a peace, police officer, and dangerous operation of a motor vehicle in relation to the heist. Obviously, he was 12 years old when he played the boy who has an adventure with an alien spaceship, and he also acted in the 1984 flick Runaway with Tom Selleck and the 1987 film Stone Fox. And now it's time for the segment, Call Me Maybe. I don't know whether I'm actually going to call it that or whether I'm just going to keep calling it different names related to the word call. But basically, this is a bit where I echo the call-ins that I received. Over this week, I've been asking you guys, after doing a video game themed episode, what your favourite video game is of all time. And here is the most recent one. This is Kelly Noble Mirabella. I wanted to call in in response to your question of what is our favorite video games? Now, I haven't played video games in years because, you know, life. But my favorite video game, believe it or not, is on the original NES. I loved Dr. Mario. I have a lot of great memories of playing Dr. Mario and beating my dad, who happens to be colorblind. So I know that's unfair. But I beat the heck out of him. And it was just so fun to play, you know, something with my dad and have that that thing that we did together. So I have a lot of fond memories around Dr. Mario of all games. That's always been my favorite. That and Mike Tyson's Punch-Out. Again, original NES. Does that age me? I don't know. I just... I tried it on the Wii and just wasn't the same. So there you go. Thanks for that, Kelly. And yes, Dr. Mario was quite the addictive game for myself as well. Um, I managed to dig out my NES a couple of years ago and I managed to start playing it again. Alongside that, I was on, um, God, what other games was I playing? Obviously, I was on the Tetris Hype on the Game Boy. Um, Alongside, there was Contra on the NES and Let's not forget the obvious Super Mario Brothers. That was that was my jam. <laughs> um, but yeah, if you also want to tell me about your favourite video game and you want to broad, want you want your favourite game and reasons why broadcast to thousands of listeners to this station, then do call in. The way you do that is if you tap on my station, you will see a speech bubble on the pop-up that comes up called Call In. Tap on that and then get talking. Let's have a chat. 
And that's it. Thank you all so much for listening. Just a quick dive into the stats from yesterday. Um, 250 people listened to the podcast yesterday. So thank you all and welcome to the Learn Something Listener family. Um, I hope you enjoy your time around here. I hope you get nice and comfy and adequately either weirded out or just pretty fascinated by the kind of facts that I find and share on here. If you want to share your own facts with me, then by all means, you can do so by calling into the station on Anchor, or you can find me on Twitter at Mr. Jason England, or this podcast now has an official Facebook group. It's by approval only, so I will know that it'll be one of you lovely loyal followers. Sorry about that. Let me just mute that. Um, And all you've got to do is go on to the Facebook page for New Rising Media. Easy to find. Just go on a search bar, search for New Rising Media. And you'll see at the top, just underneath the cover photo, you will see the groups section. And you will see the Learn Something group. Click on that. Request to join and then I'll approve you. And from there, I will be sharing exclusive content that you won't be able to find anywhere else. And also, I'll be giving you guys the control over what I talk about in this podcast. Besides that, I also have a competition going. Um, You can win yourself a copy of Crash Bandicoot Insane Trilogy on PS4. All you got to do is go on newrisingmedia.com slash subscribe and sign up to our mailing list and you'll get a weekly email full of great stuff like stuff that I handpick, stuff that I write personally for you because I love you guys. It's great to have such a listener base as you do and thank such a listener base as you all. So thank you, thank you so much for listening. And if you're listening to this on podcasts, please, please, please subscribe, rate us five stars, give us a positive review, whatever you can do to help us reach more listeners. And after that, I'll see you on Friday and hopefully I can kick off your weekend in true, true style.